Well, Merry Christmas. It is so great to see you today. I'm excited to be able to, to celebrate and worship with you on Christmas morning. You know, since the Christmas season began, there's one word that has probably fallen from our lips more than any other, and this is probably true, especially this morning, especially if you have kids. And I don't think it's the word joy or carol or tree. I think it's the word gift. If you've been listening in on conversations in homes or in malls, maybe even in offices or neighborhoods, you have been hearing this word mentioned again and again by people as they get, get ready to celebrate the Christmas season. And uh, we had li- gifts, uh, lists that we hope to receive. Maybe we had lists of gifts that we, we hope to buy and give. And some of us did very well this morning. Can we take a survey? Did, who, who did really well today? Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you didn't do well. We don't want to start any problems before we leave worship this morning. But uh, um, for just a few moments, what we're going to do today is think about one of my favorite Christmas verses. Uh, But it's not a verse that's found in one of the Gospels. And because it's not found in one of the Gospels, we may not think of it as a Christmas verse. But it really is. I think it would be really good if this Christmas verse, this verse was on every Christmas card because it tells us in an unforgettable way about God's gift to us. Now this verse is at the top of your outline in your program. It's uh, gonna be on the screen in just a moment. And this verse is 2 Corinthians 9.15. Paul writes, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now why don't we all together say that verse out loud. Can you join me? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, this is a short verse, but it really ought to grab our attention. It's written by a brilliant man, by a rabbi. His name is Paul of Tarsus. Very well respected in his day. He was a profound thinker. He had a broad vocabulary. And he was a master of the Greek language. He was a great communicator, both on his feet as well as with his pen. Uh, You probably know that more of his writings appear in the New Testament than anyone else. And I think we can safely say that except for Jesus Christ, he is the greatest theological mind uh, that's ever existed. And yet, when he comes to this simple four-letter word gift, he pauses. And he says, it's indescribable. For all of his brilliance, he cannot find one word to put before this word gift. He's just at a complete loss to express himself, and so he simply says it's indescribable. He actually uses a term that is found nowhere else in the New Testament. Today, we would say he, he coined a word, indescribable, just no words. So why? Why is this gift indescribable? Why is this gift too awesome for words? After all, it's just a baby. Uh, how many other babies, think about it, were born that very same night? Why was it that Jesus' birth was so ineffable, so unspeakable, so indescribable? Well, the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Christ, God's son, was indescribable because it was like no other birth that had ever taken place before or that has taken place since. I want to give you two reasons very briefly, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. 
This gift was indescribable because this baby was God. He is the creator of the universe. He is God in the flesh. And if this had been an ordinary conception and if this baby had been an ordinary infant, then there would have been nothing indescribable about it. But because he was neither, Paul says, it's indescribable. A couple of times this Christmas season here at Southwinds, we've read these verses in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. I'm going to read them again, verses 1 through 3 and then verse 14. John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The author Ken Geyer has written a moving description of the first Christmas in his book, Intimate Moments with the Savior. I want you to listen to what he writes and and just allow it to draw you into what the incarnation meant for God and for his son. He says, for the census, the royal family has to travel 85 miles. Joseph walks while Mary, nine months pregnant, rides side saddle on a donkey, feeling every jolt, every rut, every rock in the road. By the time they arrive, the small hamlet of Bethlehem is swollen from an influx of travelers. The inn is packed, people feeling lucky if they were able to negotiate even a small space on the floor. Now it is late, everyone is asleep, and there is no room. But fortunately, the innkeeper is not all shekels and mites. True, his stable is crowded with his guest animals, but if they could squeeze out a little privacy there, they were welcome to it. Joseph looks over at Mary, whose attention is concentrated on fighting a contraction. We'll take it, he tells the innkeeper without hesitation. The night is still when Joseph creaks open the stable door. And as he does, a chorus of barn animals makes discordant note of the intrusion. The stench is pungent and humid, as there have not been enough hours in the day to tend the guests, let alone the livestock. A small oil lamp lent them by the innkeeper, flickers for a woman in the throes of childbirth. Far from home, far from family, far from what she had expected for her firstborn. But Mary makes no complaint. It is a relief just to finally get off the donkey. She leans back against the wall, her feet swollen, back aching, contractions growing stronger and closer together. Joseph's eyes dart around the stable, not a minute to lose, Quickly, a feeding trough would have to make do for a crib. Hay would serve as a mattress. Blankets, blankets, ah, his robe, that would do. And those rags hung out to dry would help. A gripping contraction doubles Mary over and sends him racing for a bucket of water. The birth would not be easy, either for the mother or the child. For every royal privilege for this son ended at conception. A scream from Mary knifes through the calm of that silent night. Joseph returns, breathless, water sloshing from the wooden bucket. The top of the baby's head has already pushed its way into the world. Sweat pours from Mary's contorted face as Joseph, the most unlikely midwife in all Judea, rushes to her side. 
The involuntary contractions are not enough, and Mary has to push with all her strength, almost as if God were refusing to come into the world without her help. Joseph places a garment beneath her, and with a final push and a long sigh, her labor is over. The Messiah has arrived. Elongated head from the constricting journey through the birth canal, light skin as the pigment would take days or even weeks to surface, mucus in his ears and nostrils, wet and slippery from the amniotic fluid, the son of the most high God, the son of the most high God, umbilically tied to a lowly Jewish girl. The baby chokes and coughs, and Joseph instinctively turns him over and clears his throat. And then he cries. Mary bears her breast and reaches for the shivering baby. She lays him on her chest, and his helpless cries subside. His tiny head bobs around on the unfamiliar terrain. This will be the first time the infant king learns. Mary can feel his racing heartbeat as he gropes to nurse. Deity nursing from a young maiden's breast. Could anything be more puzzling or more profound? Joseph sits exhausted, silent, full of wonder. The baby finishes and sighs, the divine word reduced to a few unintelligible sounds. Then for the first time, his eyes fix on his mother's. Deity straining to focus, the light of the world squinting. Tears pool in her eyes, and she touches his tiny hand and hands that once sculpted mountain ranges cling to her finger. She looks up at Joseph, and through a watery veil, their souls touch. He crowds closer, cheek to cheek, with his betrothed, and together they stare in awe at the baby Jesus whose heavy eyelids begin to close. It has been a long journey. The king is tired. And so, with barely a ripple of notice, God stepped into the warm lake of humanity. Thus, in the little town of Bethlehem, that one silent night, the royal birth of God's son tiptoed quietly by as the world slept. The gift is indescribable because the baby was God. The second thing that I want you to notice is that the gift was indescribable because this baby was born to die. It is not only remarkable that God would send his son into the world to live among men, it is even more remarkable that he would send his son to die for men. When the angel first appeared to Joseph to explain what had happened to Mary, he said these words, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I want to ask you if you've ever really pondered, seriously thought about the question, why was Jesus born? What was the reason for his incarnation? And the truth is you could give many answers. You could say that he came to reveal God and you would be right. You could say that he came to teach us how to live and, and you would be right. You, you could say that he came to bring peace and 
to demonstrate love and to heal the sick, and all those things are correct, but, but none of these things is the central reason that Jesus was born because the Bible tells us Jesus was born to die. Bethlehem only happened so that Calvary could take place. And that means those soft baby hands that Mary kissed so gently were made so that thick, blunt nails might be driven through them. Those chubby, pink, baby feet unable to walk would one day walk up a hill and be nailed to a cross. Those tender lips which Mary would teach to speak would one day cry out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That tender body, warm and soft, wrapped up in the swaddling clothes would one day be torn open by a Roman spear for this is why Jesus was born. He was born to die. Why? Well, he was born to die because we are sinners. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God gave us everything we needed and more, but we rebelled, we turned away, we have gone our own way, and every single person who's ever lived since Adam and Eve has rebelled against God in their thoughts and their words and their deeds. And the Bible tells us that the result of our rebellion is this, the wages of sin is death, and not just physical death, but everlasting death. The Bible says an eternity of dying awaits all who rebel against God. And there is no way out, there is no path of escape. No one can ever uh, regain or attain the perfect holiness that we must possess to spend eternity with God. We don't have any hope in ourselves. We owe a debt we, we cannot pay. But that's not the end of the story, of course. God came down at Christmas and God gave a gift and it was an indescribable gift and it is a free gift. It is given to all who would simply receive it. You know this verse, the apostle John puts it like this, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And because of God's indescribable gift, that means that we can know eternal life. We can live forever. And if that were not enough, we can, the Bible says, also now, right now, today, live a fulfilling life, a life that has joy and purpose and meaning. That's why Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. You know, when you put all this together, you begin to understand what Christmas is all about. And as wonderful as Christmas is, and I hope you've all had a really great morning so far, maybe some of you haven't, <laughs> but I hope you all have. As wonderful as it is, Christmas is not about the things we celebrate mostly. It's not about the Christmas spirit that can make this sometimes the most wonderful time of the year. It's really not ultimately about the presence under the tree. It's not even about getting together with family and with friends. And those are all good things. Those are all blessings. They are gifts from our heavenly father, but those things are not God's gift. God came down at Christmas and he came to love us. He came to show himself to us. He came to identify with us and he came to die for us so that we could receive the gift. And the gift is God's son and the gift is freely given to all who would believe. 
And that gift should cause, for those who know the Father through the Son, that gift should cause thanksgiving to well up within our hearts and it should cause joy to overflow our lives because no matter what else happens to us in this world, if we have the gift, we can make it. And our lives can have purpose and direction. I just wanna ask you, as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper, are you thankful this morning for God's indescribable gift? I wanna encourage you today as you go about all that you're going to do, eating and opening presents and being with family and being with friends, whatever it is you do to celebrate today, I want to encourage you throughout the day to pause at least in your heart and your mind and, and to give thanks to God for his indescribable gift. And with Paul, we can say those words. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Heavenly Father, we, we stop on this day um, that we love so much, this day of celebration, this day of joy, this day of family and friends and, and food, this day where we just celebrate so many of the blessings that come to us from your hand. And Lord, help us uh, in this moment to again give you thanks for your best gift your indescribable gift, the gift of your son. And help us, Lord, today through the rest of this day to live our, our moments in that spirit of thanksgiving because you have loved us in your son and you have given us life and we deserve death and, and we now have hope because of Jesus. Lord, as we remember his sacrifice for us, uh, may you encourage our hearts And may we receive strength, strength and encouragement to live for you. We pray these things, Father, now in the name of Jesus the Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and all God's people together say,